Well, we are in our second week of this series, a series we are calling Jesus Revolution. And it's not really based upon the movie, although if you haven't seen the movie yet, I would highly recommend you go on to see the movie Jesus Revolution. It's about the Jesus Revolution that happened in the early 70s and uh, how God sparked a revival. And we're seeing other signs of revival. But... Um, there's, there was a, another Jesus revolution that was very important, and that was the very first Jesus revolution. The very first time when Jesus came on the planet, and that was the very first one. And so if we look at that, that first Jesus revolution, and then if we look at the one in the 70s, and I know there's been some other great awakenings uh, throughout the history of mankind, but we look at the one in the 70s because it was wasn't that far away, you know, at, at least... I mean, I was alive back then. A lot of you guys were. Uh, not everyone was alive back then. Um, but the, the, that revolution we can learn from, and then also the revolution in our own hearts, in our own lives, because I believe that God desires us to have a revolution in our own hearts and lives. Uh, now, we looked at the definition last week of a revolution, and a revolution means the overthrow and replacement of an established government system by the people governed. So it's an overthrow or a replacement. And, and Jesus wasn't, he didn't come on the planet to overthrow the Roman government, although a lot of people thought he, that was his goal, that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was really, he really came to overthrow and replace the, the governing uh, laws that were just weighing people down and then the other um, uh, Pharisees and uh, the man-made laws that they tacked on top of that. And it was just so burdensome. And what it did, it took away the relationship part of, of knowing God. All it was was just um, making sure you are, obeying, uh, you are obeying all of these different rules but not uh, loving and falling in love with God the Father. And God's like, we're, it's all about a relationship. So Jesus introduced the relationship part of that. And so that was the revolution. And so you may have some uh, religious systems in your life that may govern you, and you may need a personal revolution. So what are some signs you may need a revolution? We talked about this last week. There are four simple signs. One, maybe, maybe uh, social media controls you. If you find your, find the point where, where social media is sort of controlling you, if you cannot uh, bear to go a day or even a few hours without looking at your social media, then you might need a break away from that. You might need a revolution in your heart and in your life because what you have there is called an idol. And there are other kind of idols, okay? There are other kind of idols that we can do, that we can place in front of God. But in nowadays, especially with, with the, uh, the new generation and, uh, and it's kind of spread to other generations, we see where social media can, can become an idol. And, and if that's the case, then you may need a revolution in your life. In other words, when you don't grieve for those who don't know Christ, when you don't grieve for those who don't know Jesus, you and I should know people in our life that don't know Christ. And we, that should grieve us. That should grieve us to the point to where we want to pray for them that the light of Jesus, that Jesus would draw them near and that, and that we could say something to them that will help plant that seed. 
And so we want to make sure that, that we grieve for those people. And if you find yourself just going through life and not really caring about whether there's a generation where there's people around you who are, who are dying and going to hell, then there needs to be a revolution in your heart. And yes, there are days I, I go back, go, go through my life, and you get so, so caught up in the things that are, that are standing right in front of you and they're staring at you and, and you, you don't think about the people around you and where they could spend eternity. Y'all, we need, to, we need to be aware of that. And we need to ask important questions to ourselves first and then maybe to them of saying, all right, are they going to hell? Or are they going to heaven? Now, that's not, us, that's not for us to judge, but we can see by their fruit of their life. And we can even ask, hey, where do you attend church? Not that attending church is going to save you, but where do you attend church? What, is, what has God been teaching you lately? That's a great question. What has God been teaching you lately? What has God been telling you in your time of prayer that's a great question. And as we ask those questions, it will help us become aware of the people around us. So we need to grieve for those who don't know Jesus. And if we don't grieve, then there needs to be a Jesus revolution in our life. Another one is when a sin is pattern, when a sin is a pattern in your life. When a sin is a pattern in your life. If you keep having this sin that keeps over and over and over again, you just can't shake it. It means you need a revolution means you need to do everything possible to attack that recurring sin in your life. You need to cut some things out. You need, you need to uh, double up on praying and maybe add fasting to that. You need to read more scripture that deals with that. You need to um, invite others to pray for you on that. You need to be open and transparent. We'll talk about that today to people. Say, hey, I'm having trouble with this. I'm having issues with this. Could you please pray for me? But when we have a pattern of sin that keeps showing up in our life day after day or several times a week, we need a revolution to replace that old governing system of sin in, that's, that's prevalent in our heart. And then the fourth one is this. If, if prayer and worship become just a ritual chore, if prayer and worship become just a ritual chore, we just got through singing a song, The Reason I Sing. If the reason you sing is like, well, they're making me stand or making me sit here in this place and I gotta, I gotta sing and I'm just here to check a box, I've been to church, you need a revolution. <laughs> you need a revolution. Now, all the songs we sing may not be like your, your favorite song or favorite style of songs or, or whatever, we really try to choose a, a wide variety of, of, of tunes that, that can relate with people. But it's not really about that. It's really more about the heart. It's about the heart. I've been in, I've been in many types of worship gatherings of different styles of music. And I've been able to just really come before God with a heart of gratitude and worship. Now, I'm going to be honest I've also been some time, there have also been times when I've been in a worship gathering when I really wasn't close to the Lord and I really wasn't following him. And I was, I was in a worship gathering and, and, and I really did not have a great attitude of worship. And I was just standing there just going through the motions. 
just going through the motions. And I remember an earlier time in my life when that happened, and I really, wanted to, I really wanted to be a worship leader, and I really wanted to lead other people in worship. And I remember this particular moment in this service whenever I was, um, when, when I was up there just kind of uh, in the audience like you and just, just having lip service almost. And God, Holy Spirit, sat me down and said, you want, to be a, you want to lead others in worship, but yet you aren't really connecting with me. How can you do that? And I needed a Jesus revolution in my heart and in my life. And so, I want to encourage you. Spend some time praying this week and ask God, God, I, I want to reach you. I want to touch you. I, want, I long for you to speak to me and for you to show me, dear Jesus. That's what I need. And so, as we go on to this service today, we talked about Last week, about the signs of a revolution. How do you know when a revolution is needed? And then today, we're going to talk about the approach to revolution. How to approach a change in your life. The approach to revolution. How do we approach Jesus in our revolution? If Jesus were alive today on, the, on this planet, flesh right here, how would you approach him? We actually see places in Scripture that we could see how people actually approach Jesus. And just so you know this, Jesus, even though he's up in heaven, his spirit is here. And so when you, when you approach Jesus, you approach the, through the Holy Spirit. You connect to God the Father and through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is how you approach him. But there's some lessons we can learn as we watch and we see some places in Scripture where people approach Jesus. There's three sort of points I'm going to share today and three examples in Scripture. Now, they're going to be in different various places in Scripture. The first one is going to be in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. So if you want to turn your copy of God's Word or your digital copy, we have it on the screen as well. So Mark chapter 5, verse 30. And what this is, this is the story, and you're, you're all very familiar with this. This is a story of, of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had a very bad uh, illness that was causing her to hemorrhage. And she spent all of her life savings on doctors that tried to heal her and still to no avail. And this woman was, because she was, uh, she was bleeding, she was made unclean um, by Jewish law. And because she was unclean and she was always bleeding, she had to go outside of the city. In fact, Jewish law states if, if, if you have blood on you and, and, and you are, are um, you know, whether it be a cut or a wound or other thing, then, then you are to um, go outside the camp for seven days and you are to also bring a sacrifice. Well, this woman was bleeding constantly. She was, she was an outcast. She wasn't even allowed to be where the people lived. And so this woman decided that she wanted to touch just the hem of the garment of Jesus. And so, if, if, just a side note, if, if you've ever watched the, the, the uh, series called The Chosen, there's an incredible scene on this, on this, this season. And if you haven't watched The Chosen, I, I highly encourage you to do that. It's free, it's on your app, and you can watch it wherever. 
But, uh, but this, um, this movie, or this TV series, is, a, is an, a dynamic way for you to see that. So just a little side note there. But the woman, she was going down a crowded street, and Jesus had lots of people around him. And, uh, and this, this woman wanted to do everything possible to go ahead and try to touch Jesus, because she believed she could get healed. And so we see this. Let's just pick it up here in Mark chapter 5, verse 30 through 34. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So how did this woman approach Jesus? Number one, we see that she was on her hands and feet. Her posture said it all. This woman could have pushed through the crowd, pushing people out of the way, even though she was unclean, just to even touch Jesus because she believed she would be healed. But she didn't push people out of the way. She wasn't forceful. She wasn't demanding of herself. It wasn't all about her. She got on her hands and feet, and she crawled on her knees to Christ and reached out and touched just his clothes. And her faith is what healed her, as Jesus would say later. Her faith is what healed her, but it's all about the approach. She approached him with humility. She approached Jesus with humility. She let go of her pride. She let go of her pride. She did not make it all about herself. She did not draw attention to herself. She let go of her pride. And really, <laughs> she was hopeful just to touch his garment and then just scurry on out and, and, and be gone. But Jesus is the one that's like, whoa, what just happened? And so, obviously, Jesus confronted the woman in a loving way, and she was made known. But that wasn't her goal. Her goal was set aside pride. I'm not going to push people out of the way. I'm not going to make it about me. I'm just going to approach it with humility. And I'm going to let go of my pride. Back in the 70s, in the Jesus Revolution, those who approached Jesus with humility, not caring what others thought about them, and those who ridiculed people uh, um, were uh, because of the religious position. So what we find here is we have two groups of people in sort of the 70s revolution. We had people who just, they didn't care what others thought about them. In other words, uh, we call them the hippies. They were like, look, I've tried drugs. I've tried uh, sexual lifestyle. I've tried all of these things and, and nothing is fulfilling me. And so I don't care what people say about me. I'm going to let go of my pride, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And it'd be known they'd even come barefoot to church and all kinds of things. But they didn't let pride stand in the way as they approached Jesus' revolution. But then you had another group of people. They were controlled by pride. They were controlled by pride. 
They even ridiculed those who were trying to get to Jesus. There were the religious sort of people who grew up going to church thinking they're better than everybody else. And they looked at them and thought, well, they don't fit the part. They don't have the look. They don't dress a certain way. A certain way. They've got to do those things before they come to church, before they come to Jesus. No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. If that woman who touched Jesus had to cure, had to be cured before she could even be with Jesus, she would never have been cured. She laid down her pride. She did everything possible to reach Jesus. That's what the hippies did in the 70s. And the religious, highbrow people of the church, not all of them, but most of them, they were like, you know, this, this is not right. But guess what? They're the ones that miss out on the Jesus revolution. They're the ones who really needed a revolution as much as those hippies. So what about you? What about you here today or watching online? What prideful things are standing in the way of you diving into a fresh Jesus revolution? What are some things? What are some, what are some prideful things? What are some things that are blocking you from that? From really diving in? It's a great question. Let's continue to ask that question as we move on to example number two. Example number two, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Just one verse. Matthew chapter 12, verse 13, if you want to turn your Bible to there. This involves a man with a withered hand. A man with a withered hand. He attended a service in a synagogue where Jesus was teaching. Then Jesus called the man to stand and come to him during the service. So evidently, Jesus knew that this man had a withered hand. And he, and he would, you know, obviously not to show it, but he would, he would hide this, this withered hand in his cloak. And I, I, I would imagine just, you know, both of his hands is like, okay, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really just shameful of this and I don't want people to see. And so he hid his hands in his outer garment. But Jesus knew and so did the Pharisees. Of course, they were trying to watch him and see if he was, Jesus was going to heal on the Sabbath, which is kind of another man approached Jesus. Now, Jesus called him, but he still approached him. Let's see what happened in verse 13 of chapter 12 of Matthew. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other one. Jesus knew this man had a withered hand. When Jesus called him to stretch out his hand, this man had a choice. <laughs> he had a choice. Do I, do I expose my good hand, the hand that's normal, or do I expose the withered hand that shows my shame? But as we see here, he exposed his withered hand. He unveiled it. And it became like the other hand. My point is this. This man, we don't know his name, the man with the withered hand. The point is this. 
He was transparent about his shame. He was transparent about what he had to live with. So when he approached Jesus, he did not come before him with sort of a facade of, hey, everything is all right. Everything is good. He did not come before him with that. He came before him with all who he is, with transparency. And so when you and I come, that's, that, that's a great lesson for us. And, and even in the 70s revolution, we see that as well. The reason why a generation of young people in the 70s participated in the Jesus revolution was because they were tired of the superficial and the fake lifestyle. Because people in the church, because they grew up in the 50s, the 50s was perfect. Even TV shows kind of showed a perfect lifestyle. And we need to hide these things. But behind the scenes, life wasn't always good. And even in the church, the church would do the same thing. Everything was good. We're going to church. Everything is just right. Like this is one reason why a lot of people don't go to church today. They got to be just right. And they feel like the church is a bunch of hypocrites because they're not transparent enough. And so the hippies were like, hey, we're tired of that. We're tired of this fake facade. And so that's the reason why they, they came to Jesus and they came to him with all that they were ready to be real, ready to get real with Jesus, ready to be vulnerable and transparent. And you and I can come to Jesus the same way. We need to be honest and transparent about what is really going on. You don't need to hide him from something. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to hide some things going on in your life with Jesus because guess what? He already knows. He already knows what's going on and he already knows what you need. Have you think about this. If, if Facebook and Google know what you need and show it to you while you're searching the internet, then guess what? Jesus can do the same thing. Jesus already knows what's going on. He knows what you need. Students, he knows what's going on in your heart, in your life. He knows your fears. He knows the drama that's going on in your life. And yes, there is drama. He knows the drama. And he has the answer. You just got to be transparent. So when you come before God the Father, come with him with a heart exposed. and said, God, I'm, I'm just going through this. These are the thoughts I'm having. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, would just comfort you and be like, I know, but thanks for telling me. It's one thing for Jesus to know. It's another thing for you to admit and for you to share with Jesus. Because what it is, it's a cry for help and it's a call for help for Jesus to give what you need. And so... I want to encourage you to go before God the Father and approach him with the heart of transparency. So we need to lay down our, our pride. We saw that with the, with the wom- uh, woman who needed healed. We need to be transparent, just like the man with the withered hand. We need to approach Jesus. We need to approach him with full transparency. And the third and final example we will see in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 through 22. There's a, this encounter is with Jesus 
And a very rich man who asked Jesus how he could get eternal life. So this man approaches Jesus. Jesus, master, rabbi. Okay, what do I need to do to get to heaven? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus shared him this. He shared him several commands that you find in the Old Testament. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And basically, you know, loving God and loving others. And this rich man was like, yeah, I, I've done those. I've done that really well. And then let's pick up where, right there in, in verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said this, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Hmm. Follow me. Verse 22, at this a man's face fell, was downcast. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You may say, well, rich people can't follow Jesus. No, that's not what that point is at all. I know a lot of very wealthy people that love Jesus and are very, very generous. The point here is not that he was rich. The point here is that his money stood in the way of a life of following Jesus. His money stood in the way of a life of following Jesus. He didn't surrender. He did not surrender. During the Jesus revolution, the church religious people did not want to let go. They did not want to surrender their sacred cows. They, the things that they, they cherish, their traditions, most churches did not want these Jesus freaks in their worship center with their barefoot feet. These new believers would break all the norms established in the local churches. The legalistic religious people did not want to relinquish or surrender the things they held most dear. So because of that, many of the churches missed out. Not all, but many of the churches missed out. Initially in the Jesus Revolution, more caught on. And churches learned from that. In fact, some of the churches that were born in the 80s and early 90s were born out of that, that experience. And like, you know what? We're going to be a different church. We're going to be a church that, I mean, follows Jesus, absolutely. But we're going to be a church that lost people love to attend. We're going to be a church that reaches those who are far from God. See, back in, the, back in the 70s, that wasn't anybody's motto of any churches. Okay? It was just, hey, come to church. And we're going to do what we do <laughs> on Sundays, whatever that is. But in the late 80s, early 90s, you had this sort of movement of like, hey, we're going to reach the lost. We're going to reach those far from God so that they can know God, so they can be introduced to Jesus. And they'll do whatever it takes. Their churches now, I mean, their, their motto is, we're going to do everything possible, you know, everything as, uh, as close to, you know, except, except for sin, you know, everything except for sin 
to reach people. We're going to do anything. And they do. And as, as Lake Point Church, you know, our, I mean, our purpose statement is we point people to Jesus. That's what we do. Okay? We don't just, we're not a church that's like, hey, we just come together and, and we hang out. No, we point people to Jesus. That's why it's important that we associate with people who are far from God and we bring them and introduce them to Jesus. There's some students in our youth group who invited friends and introduced them to Jesus. And I think the fire that's going on in our student ministry right now, they just continue to invite more and more. Last Wednesday, we had more students in our youth group on a Wednesday night than we've had in the last four years. Why? Because students are inviting their friends. And folks, we need to do the same thing. In fact, next week's sermon is, is about that with Jesus' revolution. Next week's message is all about how you invite people or bring people to the revolution. You don't want to miss it. Some good stuff there. But your heart, my heart today, what needs to be surrendered? What needs to be surrendered in your life, in your heart? Is it a group of friends, students? Some of you may have friends, and there may be some adults here too. If there are people who are bringing you down, you need to, you need to move them to a further circle. I'm not saying you need to ignore them, because that's not what Jesus would do, but you just need to move them to, a, to a, a, another circle of friends that's a little bit further away from you. And so if you've got, you got friends that are bringing you down, you need to surrender that. If you've got things in your life that you know is not honoring God, you've got to surrender that. You need to surrender that to Jesus so that you can have a Jesus revolution in your life, in your heart. What are some things that you're holding on to? I'm going to ask Logan to come up here. We didn't really plan this. So I'm going to ask him to come up here and just get on the piano and just play something. Just whatever the Spirit tells you. But I want us to have a time of prayer. I want us to search our hearts this morning. And I want us, it, it, and, and y'all, we, we need Jesus in the deepest part of our hearts. And so if there's a revolution that's needed, and again, a revolution is the overthrow and replacement of a governing system. What is governing your heart? What is governing your heart? You need to surrender that. But that's going to take moving your pride out of the way, like the woman who crawled on her knees to Jesus. And it's also going to take being transparent before God the Father and showing all that you are, like the man with the shriveled hand. But it's also going to take you coming before him in complete surrender, a rich young ruler, 
and say, one thing you lack, there's one thing that's standing in the way from you following me. And to him, it was his wealth. What is it for you? What is that thing that is standing in the way of your complete surrender to Jesus? So if everybody could, let's all stand together. I invite you to stand. And I invite you, just in a a reverent time, here with the Lord, I want you to search your heart. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to search your heart. Is there something hidden that you need to just get right with the Lord? That you need to surrender? Search your heart right now.